Liz Craft and Sarah Fain are TV writers and producers in LA and co-hosts of the podcast Happier in Hollywood. On Happier in Hollywood, they share all the juicy details of their career in television, from pitching shows to casting pilots to getting that dreaded cancellation call. But it's not all about Hollywood. Liz and Sarah have career advice no matter what industry you work in. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's get back to Skim from the Couch. I think the biggest and hardest transition was learning how to not micromanage, learning how to step back and what that lever really looks like. I really thought that if something wasn't right or what I thought it should be, that me getting in there and helping and doing was the right thing. But actually that can make people feel not empowered. It can make them feel not trusted. And it makes them feel like you don't think that they can do it on their own. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Hey everyone, our guest today is Jenna Lyons. She's a fashion designer, business personality, and now a reality TV star. <laughs> Jenna spent 26 years in the fashion world at J. Crew, where she was the president and executive creative director before leaving in 2017. Now she started a creative consulting firm and a line of false eyelashes. You can also catch her on her reality slash competition show on HBO Max, Stylish with Jenna Lyons. Jenna, we're excited to have you here. Welcome to Skin from the Couch. Thank you. That introduction makes me sound like schizophrenic. <laughs> no, entrepreneurial. It makes you sound very accomplished. Yeah. Thanks. Well, we're so excited to see you and have you on the show. You know, I was thinking about this. You are somebody who is both very public, but also I feel like very private where there's a lot we don't know about you. So I think you've done like a good job managing that. Well, thank you. So on that note, what's something- <laughs> What do you want to know? Yeah. What, what's something we can't Google about you? Well, interestingly enough, I know I grew up when like Google and phones and people taking pictures and documenting things didn't exist. So like I was a synchronized swimmer, like kind of weird. Really? Yeah. Wow. I was obsessed with synchronized swimming. Kind of still am. You, there is documentation of that on Instagram recently from <laughs> my friends just opened a hotel in New Orleans called the St. Vincent. And at, I don't know, 2.30 in the morning, three o'clock, maybe we all ended up in the pool and I led a synchronized swimming class. Stop it. So you still got it. Although I will say the best part was when I asked everyone to put their legs up, you know, so we could do a formation of a star. They all sank. It was terrifying. <laughs> was like, <laughs> oh my God. Is that hard to do or is it just hard to do like It drop? shouldn't be. Yeah. It might be just hard with like three tequilas in you. I don't know. But yeah. it was definitely like, I was like, oh, this is not a good idea. We need to get up. That's very funny. All right. I wasn't expecting that as a fun fact and I love it. All right. We're going to jump into it. Why fashion? Why was that the thing that you fell into? I mean, I think for a number of reasons, you know, when I was growing up, like the world was very different. There was no internet. I didn't know what jobs really even existed. Like I didn't know that you could be a stylist or a makeup artist or be a buyer. Like those, those jobs just weren't visible to you. So you only had the idea of like what was on the chart when you were growing up, which was like, doctor, lawyer, nurse, teacher, and then something in fashion. I knew I'd seen designers and I was obsessed with the world of fashion. I had grown up feeling really on the outside of being pretty, you know, had a genetic disorder and was kind of teased mercilessly, which is a long overly told story. 
when I started making clothes for myself, because I took a home economics class, I realized the power of positive reinforcement. And someone said, you know, I love what you're wearing and will you make something for me? Not only to be complimented myself, how much confidence and inner joy that gave me, but then to have someone say, will you make it for me? Like it took on a whole another meaning. And I realized like, maybe that's what I should do. Cause I was enamored by fashion and enamored by beauty and sequence and color. And I was like, maybe I could do that for a living. And so it just kind of was my only choice, honestly. Thank God it came along because I don't know what I would have done otherwise. So as we mentioned in the intro, you are J. Crew for 26 years. And as part of that, you were thrust into a lot of leadership positions in your 20s and 30s that you might not have felt ready for. I think we very much understand that. <laughs> what did you start to learn about yourself as a leader and about managing people? I mean, I learned so many things. I think the biggest and sort of hardest transition was learning how to not micromanage, learning how to step back and what that lever really looks like. I really thought that if something wasn't right or what I thought it should be, that me getting in there and helping and doing was the right thing. But actually that can make people feel not empowered. It can make them feel not trusted and it makes them feel like you don't think that they can do it on their own. And so I out of an effort to try and be supportive, like meaning if I don't think that it's exactly where it should be, I'm going to help you get there instead of just walking away and make you fix it. Because I had felt anxious around my own experience of feeling like, God, I'm not sure what this person wants and I'm not exactly sure what to do, how to fix it. And I just had to figure it out. And part of that figuring it out, you need to figure it out yourself and allowing people to do that and allowing people to make mistakes. There's no right or wrong, particularly in fashion. I mean, obviously you can hit the mark with something and you know the client can love it. But the fact of the matter is, it could go a million ways. And so there's no right. Trying to allow people to experiment and to have their own voice within that. It's one of the hardest things because I think you're, particularly in fashion, you're wanting to create a look, but at the same time, that look needs to be an amalgamation of a lot of people's ideas because it's not always that great when it's just one. Like you can get so much more when there's a group of people who are having a bigger voice and channeling that in a healthy, encouraging way is not easy. <laughs> Yeah. And I think when you think about this with creative fields, right? Because as you said, so often you're good at what you do because you have a vision and then you're lauded for bringing that to life as you see it. And at the same time, you have a team. And I think I saw you in doing prep for this in a lot of the interviews you had talked about it as as part of your team, but that kind of gets left out, right? Doesn't necessarily make the final cut. It's one thing as a creative, but then to go back and be the manager and be on the business side, like how do you start to lead people through that? I mean, I think, listen, I think you can probably talk to anyone who I worked with and I think they would all have moments of like, yeah, she was great. And yeah, she drove me crazy. And I didn't feel seen. You know, it's, it's not easy. And I can say, I'm sure I made mistakes. I'm sure there are people in my wake that felt like I didn't give them enough attention or enough accolades. It is very challenging. You know, I think I'm also one of those people who can like, where's my heart on my sleeve? And you can see like when I absolutely love something and when something's not right, I, I, I have a tendency to make really bizarre facial expressions. And I think that is is one of the hardest things. I don't have an answer for you because I think to think that there is a solve for that, I, the, the best possible thing you can do is in real time, give accolades to your team. But there's no question. I struggled so much in constantly trying to reference the team and how, you know, I got more credit than I deserved. And yes, you're, you have a vision, but the fact of the matter is you can't do it on your own. I didn't do anything by myself. I literally had the, some of the most incredibly talented people. And, and the fact of the matter is a lot of those people were more talented than I was. They just didn't necessarily want to take a leadership role or be able to, like, it takes a certain kind of weird 
person to want to do that. And so sometimes creative people don't really want that. And I can honestly say that a lot of people I worked with are absolutely more talented than I was and trying to find ways to support them and make them feel seen. It's, I mean, it was a constant, always on your radar. Every meeting I walked into, it was constantly like, how do I, in this particular situation, give feedback, but make this person feel seen and understand that I think they're incredible and doing great work. It's constant. It's like having a child. So you ended up becoming president of J.Crew and also executive creative director, which is a creative role, but it's also a business role. And you're known for actually helping turn around J.Crew of the past and turning it into a multi-billion dollar business. I was fascinated and just like really trying to digest that, that you are a creative, you're somebody in the creative process, but also with business responsibilities, you had to be removed from some of the creative. Talk to us just about tapping into the business side of yourself and and discovering that side. It's not like you flip a switch. So it's not like I wasn't already tapped in. I mean, I don't think you get that job and no one's going to see you in that role if you're not already showing signs that you can understand and appreciate and acknowledge the business side and the needs of the business. I felt really comfortable in that place because it was already in place. You know, I was already very connected to understanding the needs of business in order to be able to make the right decisions. And Mickey, I think one of the things I loved about him was he was very inclusive in his leadership. So he would bring all of us together all the time. So we were constantly connected in terms of what was happening in the business and how to think about what are the right and best decisions. I also think J. Crew is a different, you know, it's not like you've sent all where it's like you're you're making a collection and it's sort of like what the vision is. And there's only, you know, that the buyers get to buy it and it goes in the stores. J. Crew is a different, you know, we were our own ecosystem. We were direct consumer. And so we didn't have wholesale. So our ecosystem was internal. So we were constantly in conversation about what was doing well and what wasn't. Whereas when you have a runway show and you sell a collection to wholesalers, you don't have that dialogue all the time. Someone's just buying it or they're not buying it. It's not the same level of dialogue. So I was very connected to the buyers. We knew them all, all the merchants. It was constant everyday conversation. Oh, well, this is doing well. This is doing, oh, we really want more of this. Okay. And so it didn't feel that disparate or different when it actually happened. You know, I think the good news and the thing that I do do think changed it is that very frequently creative isn't necessarily heralded or given the credibility or the importance that it deserves. I think if you look at a lot of companies that really stand out in the world, oftentimes their creative is really special, like a Dyson or an Apple. It's like we don't give enough credit to how impactful it can be. And so by having someone who had a creative background sit in a leadership role like that, it really sent a message to everyone in the building that creative was important and was to be valued. And that was really, I think, helpful to the team around me. And I think they felt more protected because of that. So it was really beneficial, I think, in a lot of ways. I want to talk about how you became not only the creative director, but also the face of the brand in a lot of ways. Was that something that you had expected? Was it something that came by surprise? How did you, you know, start to navigate that? Because it's very different. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it was definitely not expected. Um, it happened sort of by accident. I still, it's funny, you know, in retrospect, trying to piece it together, I think there are probably a few moments where things crystallized, but the the most important one was really, you know, at one point our head of marketing wanted to do Jenna's picks and I was like, okay, fine. And we put it in the catalog. I didn't think anything of it. And it was really like curating the things that I was really excited about. And it was just really to editorialize and try to pull things out and sort of say, okay, how do we highlight things? Because there's, you know, thousands of SKUs on the line. Let's highlight some things and you have a chance to talk. It was a very quick success. I mean, we saw a catalog spread, just for instance, you know, we measured them by how much money the catalog spread would generate. And a good spread is, you know, anywhere from 500 to $600,000. That's great. 
a million dollars is like amazing. So a spread, meaning two pages would be, you know, it started off at 250,000, then it quickly jumped to 450,000, then it jumped to 500, then to 600. It was soon a million dollar spread in, in literally, that doesn't usually happen. And so we knew that there was something there, but by doing that, we also knew that there were a lot of eyeballs on it. And then all of those eyeballs were seeing my name. And so then at one point, Vogue did an article about me and just saying like, what's happening at J. Crew, and noticing the change. And then all of a sudden that connected to the Vogue article, then it kind of just snowballed. And I think Domino, I was on the cover of Domino and my house was in Domino. And that, I think, interesting enough for all of the work I had done in clothing, the home piece of it actually really took hold. And I'm not sure why. That's fascinating because Carly and I actually talk a lot about that when people feature their homes. And we're we're always like, you know, it seems so personal. It's such an intimate look. And so it's interesting yeah. to see you talk about why do you think that connected? It sort of demystifies or really allows you to say, do I like this person? Do I see myself as being friends with this person? Like there is a real connection there when you actually see someone in their home, how they've chosen to decorate it, how they choose to live. Is it audacious? Is it fancy? Is it humble? Like, how is this person? Are they aspirational to you? And I think that really connected for a lot of people. And I was surprised. I mean, it's still, (laughs) I, I can't go on Pinterest without my bathroom coming up. And I think it did have a really meaningful impact. And that was really the moment, I think, when I saw things start to turn. Why did you leave J. Crew? Oh, gosh. I mean, a myriad of reasons. I had been there for a long time. I was a president and executive director of J. Crew Group, which meant Factory, Madewell, and J. Crew. So my life was intense. I did not have any downtime. So as soon as we would do a line review for J. Crew, then we would go into a line review for Madewell, then we would go into a line review for Factory. And it's just a lot of output. And, you know, while the other teams were getting to have a moment of quiet, I was just constantly going on to the next. And it was intense. And then on top of that, I think that there were a lot of things that we probably needed to change. And there were some desires to change some things at a much higher level, like meaning from a board perspective. And I was really like, I don't know if this is the right thing for me. Like, I don't know if I'm the person to make those changes. And I had been in a meeting. We had low divider walls in our offices and there was a team on the other side of the wall and they were having a marketing meeting. And I, you know, they were, they reported to me as I could hear them. And I, I heard them say, oh, I don't know if we should show her that. She's never going to go for it. And I realized that I was now potentially a stumbling block. If we needed to make changes, my team and I, we'd gotten so close and we knew each other so well that they knew how to edit before they got to see me. And I was like, God, if we need to actually think outside the box and do things differently, they may never even let themselves do that because I'm here, because they're all, we're already attuned and they're just going to make assumptions that I'm not going to be willing to change. And I just didn't feel as effective. And I didn't feel like I was moving forward or growing as much as I had. And Nikki and I had a conversation. It became apparent that there was some conversations with him. He was thinking of going. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it's just time. I had the most loving, tearful, warm, and gracious exit. And I'm deeply, deeply grateful of that. The board was incredible. Mickey was incredible. And I'm so grateful because, you know, it means a lot to me and I still love the brand, but I'm, I think it was the right thing. I, I, I was ready. Yeah. And so you're ready and you leave in this great way. And then no one calls. And I'm <laughs> saying that bluntly because of how you said it. I know. I mean, I, d- I yeah. do say it. I'm guessing that's not what you were expecting. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because when I was at J. Crew. 
I had calls all the time. I was constantly getting poked by, you know, headhunters or companies abroad saying, would you be interested in doing X? So yeah, I was a little surprised. I also was watching the industry change dramatically as you were really seeing the effects of like the Zara and the H&M and fast fashion, how it was shifting the landscape for retailers and also just how much retail in general, malls, that, that whole ecosystem was changing. And so I just never in a million years thought that it would be completely crickets. I, yeah, it was, it was really humbling <laughs> still is, but it also, I think in some ways I'm happy that that happened. Cause I don't think I would have tried all the other things I'm doing now. I probably would have just fallen right back into working at another fashion company and feeling the same kind of angst that I was feeling at J crew, where I was just like, wasn't sure that's what I wanted anymore. What do you think is the reason you didn't get calls? I mean, I think probably a number of them. I mean, I think some of them are ego driven. Like I can say, you know, my ego wants to believe that like it was just because people thought I was locked up with a contract or who knows, like, you know, there's that. And I think also the landscape changing. And then like the like sort of more vulnerable part of me is like, well, maybe nobody wanted me. (laughs) And that's probably true. I don't know. And maybe I don't want to know. No, but because I think, you know, you can go like ruminate for a long time and like (laughs) anyone could drive themselves crazy thinking about like, why is no one calling me? Like, what, like what's going on? Are people talking about me? Like, I mean, we all can imagine that scenario. Forget that you are somebody in the public eye. How did you discover then what you wanted to do next and to not only discover it, but then have the confidence to like put yourself back out there? I can honestly say that the way that how I ended up doing the things I'm doing now was it was in spite of myself, meaning like I didn't drive towards it. It was actually kind of a strange process because I wasn't getting calls. I started to just, you know, someone said, hey, can we talk to you about something random, meaning not in my field? I would say, fine, take me to lunch and I'll talk. And so I just started taking lunches. I was like, if you buy me lunch, I'll go out. And I didn't have anything on my calendar for the first time in my life. So I was like, I'll have a long lunch. And what I found was that through doing that, it made me really start to think about all the things that I was interested in that I'd never really been able to do because there was no safety net there and I wasn't going to just leave. And I took a call from a now friend, Susie, who said, you know, do you want to do a furniture line with this company in upstate New York who had a beautiful furniture company? I was like, all right, sure. And then that sort of fell apart, but through that became doing a hotel in the Bahamas. So I had no idea, no ambition to, I just, they were like, would you be interested? I'm like, well, great. Yeah, sure. Why not? And it's the same thing with the television show. I literally was just, I took a lunch date and that person introduced me to someone else who said, would you be interested in TV? I said, absolutely not. And he said, well, can I just talk to you? And I'm like, all right. And through just a few random conversations and sitting down with a network executive, we literally, after two and a half meetings, penciled a deal and said, we'll do a TV show. I was like, okay. (laughs) Like I cannot believe in all of that happened. You know, the same thing with the eyelashes. I was consulting with someone, just giving them some advice on, on something about a beauty project. And I, I started to do research. I went to a couple of makeup shows and I realized that there were no eyelashes at the shows. And I was like, that's interesting because everyone's obsessed with them and I'm obsessed with them. Why is no one showing them? And why is there no options here? And so I was like, well, maybe I should create something because I can't find what I want. So maybe I should just do it myself. So it's just been an amalgamation of like being open in a way that I would never have been before. So I think, like I said, I'm grateful for not getting calls. So thank you, all those people who (laughs) ignored me. For those listening, how do you think about 
building your own brand versus being a part of a, a company. Like when you kind of look back at everything and, and you became a brand at J. Crew that was separate from the business as well as integral to the business. And now with everything you're doing, like you are Jenna Lyons, like furniture companies want to work with you because you're Jenna Lyons. How would you advise people listening how to think about personal brand? I think the most important thing is like, you can't fake it. You just have to do what you like, like stick to yourself and don't do anything else. Don't try to be something else or try to be something you're not. Don't copy any, because it just will not pencil. It will not work. It will be transparent and people are smart and they have, they they can like smell it. And so I do think that if you just stick to the core of what you love and what you believe in and what you are, you're, you will be fine. I never sought out to build a brand. It was not an intent. It just sort of happened as I was trying to do what I loved. And this is, again, this is me. I'm probably a little old school, but I believe that when you do and stay true and keep on a course and protect the thing that you think is really your like core belief or core like sense of beauty or an aspiration that then you'll be okay. I think fakeness really shows. And I think it shows even more now because there is so much access to people's lives from a visual standpoint. And you kind of can't fake like what does your house look like? What are you doing? Who are you? Are you funny? Are you honest? Are you vulnerable? Are you smart? Like people can feel it and showing like the seams, like I think is way more interesting than trying to make it polished and perfect. What's been the most surprising part of having this new show and putting yourself out there again? I was really surprised at how much our culture has really structured a belief system around being a boss, being a female boss, the industry, and that you have to be mean. Interesting enough, you know, we started off doing a show where we mixed a documentaries format and a reality format. And we had a showrunner who, for those of you who don't know, because I didn't know what it was, is someone who helps structure the story and shape the, the show, particularly in the beginning when it's never been done. So we had a showrunner named David Tibbles, who I adore, but also had done Shark Tank. And so his whole background was very reality-based. And it was interesting because even the network was like, hey, can you, we were originally on Turner before we were at HBO and there. And so they're mode of, you know, sort of visual transportation is like, well, we can see that you're not really happy with that. Can't you tell her that you're not happy? I'm like, no. I don't want to do that. Why would I tell someone to their face that I don't like what they did and then expect them to work harder and expect them to feel good when they go back? Like maybe if I say to them, here's what I think you really excel at, and here's what I think you maybe need to like rethink or push aside, like maybe they're going to feel better and they'll be more motivated. And there's just, I think this construct that's been really absorbed. And, you know, it's funny because I've heard people say, my friend Susie actually, she said, she gets a lot of people saying to her, oh, is Jenna really like that? Though she, and Susie's like, yeah, she's just like that. And I think that is, you know, trying to actually have a reality show that was really reality and not constructed. I think it's it was interesting. I was surprised at how much what people want to see. I don't know. I wasn't expecting that. You know, putting myself out there again, that was like, it's weird because you do it but it takes a year for it to actually go anywhere. So we shot and filmed and then COVID happened. So it all just shut down. So it feels like it didn't happen, honestly, because it released in the middle of COVID. So it wasn't like I was, you know, there's a billboard on the way to the Holland Tunnel and I never saw it in person. We're going to move into our lightning round. Are you ready? Oh God, I'm so bad at these. No, but no, be, well, you're going to yeah. be great. It'll be fine. Quick questions, okay. quick answers. What is your favorite fashion trend right now? I really love the oversized boxy blazer. Like, the really tiny little top and the oversized boxy blazer. I think that kind of looks cute in the high-waisted pants. What's the fashion trend you hate right now? I'm not a super fan of like a ton of 
makeup, like that trend of like over the top. Like I love it for a video and like watch it, but all out on the street, I'm like, hmm. You look to yourself in the mirror outside in the sun. I don't know about that. What's the last show you binge watch? Ted Lasso. I love it. Morning person or night owl? I'm a night owl. I'm working on changing that. What time do you wake up in the morning? I've been waking up much earlier. Like I've been waking up at like 7.30 doing a workout at 8. You're welcome to join. We do it. I do it with a bunch of women on a Zoom. It's super fun. And then we do a stretch afterwards. So I'm trying to get it in early. But yeah, I'm trying to move it earlier and go to bed earlier. All right. Send it to us. We'll come. What is the last book you read? Three Women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Worst professional mistake you've made. Oh, I mean, do we, how long do you have? We don't, this podcast can't handle that. I mean, I've made so many mistakes. I think that I would say the biggest mistake I've made biggest or, I mean, there is one time where I early on in my early days, I transposed two numbers on a color number. And it was back when I used to write the purchase, like I wrote something on the final design card, that was the color that was ordered. And instead of navy, we ordered 75,000 pounds of mustard color. Yeah. Yeah. So every time we would have a fitting, they used the mustard heather yarn for the samples that we would fit. So every single (laughs) fitting. smart. For for years. No, No, for years. We would see samples. Because we had to use up 70,000 pounds. Yeah. And- so for years we would see, and like, I'll never forget the first day. It was probably like three and a half years later that we actually got a first sample that was in navy blue. And I started to yeah. cry in the fitting <laughs> <laughs> because my entire team was like tortured because every time, you know, we're putting this mustard heather yeah. color. So every sweater was cloaked in the shadow of mustard heather and my bad mistaken transpose number. That's very funny. In the height of quarantine, were you wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt? Oh God. I mean, if I even got out of bed and if I even put on clothes, yes. Okay. All right. It makes me feel better. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> last question. Who's someone else we should have on the show? I'm really, I'm fascinated with what's happening with the girls at Crown Affair. I think they're doing a really great job. Also, I'm really into, did you know Beverly from the Beverly shop? No. I think she's kind of cool. Yeah, this is great. Great you list. Send you a list. <laughs> Thank um, you. Jenna, Congrats on everything. We were so Thank excited you. for you and, and so Thank good you. to Thank see you. you. It was good to see you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.